Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Just Dow It podcast, the podcast for people starting DAOs. I'm Adam Miller, and I'm your host. I'm the CEO of MyDAO, which provides legal entity solutions for DAOs, and I used to do consulting for people starting and operating DAOs, and I'm excited to share lessons learned from my experience and our guests' experiences and lessons learned with the audience. First, we'll introduce our guests, and then the first half of the podcast will be the Just Dow It News Report, and in the second half, we'll do the featured guest interview. So, Philip, would you please give a brief introduction to yourself? Hi, uh, yeah, so my name is Philip. I'm a contributor to Juicebox DAO, Movement DAO, and a number of other DAOs related to that. Uh, if you're not familiar with Juicebox, it's a decentralized funding platform that allows people to deploy uh, programmable treasuries to Ethereum. Uh, but outside of that, I also do a little bit of consulting for NFT projects and things of that nature. Awesome. And I'm going to ask you to tell us what makes you an authority on DAOs. But <laughs> first, will you promise not to be too humble in your answer? Uh, it's, a tough, it's a tough promise, but I'll do my best. <laughs> it seems actually hard for a lot of people in crypto. I, I love the community and the values, and I, I feel like we actually have a lot of humility here. But for the sake of the podcast, uh, <laughs> Philip, what makes you an authority on DAOs? Well, I don't know. I'm kind of breaking my promise a little bit here, but I don't know if it's possible for anybody to be an authority on DAOs, right? I have a, I have a good bit of experience uh, just from working with a lot of DAOs and helping a lot of people set up their DAOs. Uh, right through Juicebox, I end up being involved in a lot of very early stage projects. So I see projects from their very early stages all the way through their their full cycle. Um, but there have been a lot of disagreements over what a DAO actually is and what are the boundaries on like what constitutes a DAO. So I don't know if there's any like any one person that can really say uh, definitively what DAOs are. But I I know a good bit about DAOs through my experience. Awesome. Well, I think helping start and operate a few and being involved in tons of DAOs uh, is, is good enough in a world where DAOs are really only a few years old. Um, and uh, and you're right. In some ways, none of us are experts yet, but we're all we're all working on it together and, and learning together. So that sounds great. OK, uh, first up, the Just Dow It News Report. I will be summarizing these stories for the audience and for our guests, and I'll share my key takeaways and reactions. And then I will ask Philip uh, on each story if he has anything to add. And we'll try to think about what is relevant about all of these stories for DAOs. First up is from Coindesk. Headline, why brands should adopt a hybrid DAO model. Crypto allows brands to give customers a voice, leading to stronger communities and products. Interesting. So, you know, I want to summarize one section of this article. What it's talking about is how existing companies, like companies with brands that we've heard of, can leverage DAOs as part of their enterprise. And it calls it a hybrid DAO because the article is not suggesting that you actually turn your company into a DAO. What it's suggesting is that you leverage a DAO on the side in some way, either to ask your community for design update advice or decisions, product look and feel updates, branding and logo changes, event or festival programming. So things that are, are kind of secondary to the actual product that's being built, but still relevant and give the community a voice. I think this is brilliant. I think every Fortune 500 company, every major brand should be thinking about how can we leverage a DAO to engage our community. So instead of asking your community, for example, hey, 
do you want to join our mailing list? Or, hey, do you want to join our Facebook group, right? Things that give you the community absolutely no decision-making power whatsoever. Um, you can offer the community, hey, how would you like to join our DAO? How would you like to help make decisions and drive progress at this company that you love? And I think that's going to be way more engaging for, for customers. So, um, Philip, anything to add or react to on this one? I think it's definitely true that a Fortune 500 company who started a DAO right now would receive a lot of attention and be able to capitalize off of that very effectively. But I think it remains to be seen how well this can scale, right? If every single company out there had a DAO and the barrier to entry to engage was like really high, you had to read a lot of stuff, you had to like join a Discord server, all this stuff. I'm not sure how much attention these people would be able to capture, right? We're still very early with crypto in general. So any major company that starts a crypto project will captivate both their own community and the crypto community to an extent. But I'm not sure if there is a future where every single company has a DAO that they're using to engage their community, especially because um, it's it's kind of hard to say like how much utility those DAOs will have, right? Like in a, in a hybrid DAO model, um, you know, how much power is actually being granted to the community over the way things are being done. And if it's really just, you can join the server and you have to read a bunch of messages and then you can vote on when an event happens, that doesn't feel as compelling to me as joining a DAO where you have real, um, you know, authority and impact on how funds are utilized and the future of the, the group as a whole. Yeah, it's a great point. I also think about, I know a lot of us who got involved in DAOs, we started out by joining five or 10 or 20 or 50 DAOs, or at least Discord servers for DAOs, and quickly realize that it's actually impossible to be meaningfully involved in that that number of projects because you just can't give them all enough attention. So if exactly. I tried to be involved in a DAO, right, for every brand that I love, I, I wouldn't actually be able to be productive in any way. Yeah, it's a lot. it's a lot of work, right? It's a lot of stuff to keep up with. So that's the thing. I mean, this is kind of you know, maybe maybe a bit of a hater perspective, um, but I don't think that like the people who say that DAOs will replace every other business model and just like eat everything up. I'm not 100 percent convinced of that. I do think that they can grow a lot from where they are now. Right. I think most charities, most nonprofits, most open source software projects, things like that could be DAOs. Right. There's no reason that Wikipedia, for example, could not be a DAO. In fact, it would probably be a lot more efficient than using this structure of like the Wikimedia Foundation and the volunteers and things like that. But uh, as to whether or not like Nike will be a DAO or whether we'll have every Fortune 500 company being a DAO, I'm not uh, entirely convinced of that, at least not yet. You know, the, the jury's still out on that one. Yeah, Wikipedia is such a great example. Every time they ask me for money, I'm like, I don't really want to just give a few dollars to Wikipedia, but if I could buy a few tokens and have just a, a modicum of governance rights and what happens with like the world's free encyclopedia, absolutely, I'd be down. Exactly. And then you could also allow for those funds to actually go to people who are editing, right? When you donate funds to Wikipedia, mm. those funds are going to the Wikimedia Foundation and not to the actual editors who are all volunteers. Oh, such a good point. That would be awesome. Uh, I mean, I feel like Wikipedia either is going to do this or someone's going to do a vampire <laughs> attack on them, right? I mean, if we came along and said, hey, we're going to build Wikipedia 2.0, not that that's easy, but we're going to build whatever we're going to call it, Web3 Wikipedia, you know, and we found a way to airdrop tokens in this new project to everyone who's ever edited a Wikipedia mm. page. Oh, my goodness. I, I, I imagine people might be interested in that. 
Yeah, it would be it would be hard, right? Like Wikipedia is kind of the first and they have this great SEO and like very a big mode of just like a huge community and like very established flows and everything. But I could yeah, I could totally see some group coming in with like a really concerted effort and making Wikipedia but decentralized, right? And I also I also think this could tie into a lot of like the the like federated social media and federated platforms that we've been seeing lately, right? I don't think Wikipedia has to be a a centralized wiki. Yeah, well, you know what? I mean, even another variation on the idea is just for the people who edit and use Wikipedia to form a DAO. It doesn't have to create a competitive product, but just a DAO to organize the people who engage with with Wikipedia itself, and maybe by organizing almost like a labor union, but a little more flexible and and modern, you know, Web three kind of labor union. Uh, maybe that would help uh, drive better innovation in, in Wikipedia. All right, next article is from Blockworks, and the headline is. House of Sempronia's departure from DAO sparks further concerns over DAO governance. Over 20 engineers, designers, and artists of the game development studio are leaving Rome DAO. So this is a story of a DAO that's led the development of a gaming project. It's developers and engineers who are actually building the game. Many of them are leaving at the same time kind of in protest against the DAO not working very well. Um, once, and here's Goldie. We always get a little bit of Goldie barking during the episode. Thanks, Goldie. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to keep going here. This is, this is the world we live in. Uh, one quote from the developers uh, in their announcement is, building things in a DAO is a disaster, and we encourage no teams to go down this path. Once your token is liquid, you should only be maintaining products and performing limited scope R&D, not attempting more aggressive builds on top of liquid assets, Sempronia explained. So uh, shots fired. Um, this is a major generalization about DAOs uh, being a disaster in general. Um, there is an awesome tweet thread that's uh, quoted in this article from uh, Joseph DeLong uh, or Joseph uh, .eth. And uh, Joseph tells this story about running a lemonade stand. So it's an allegory uh, where uh, little Jimmy is running a lemonade stand and little Jimmy starts a DAO to help engage the community of people who participate in the lemonade stand and, and customers of the lemonade stand. And I'm not going to summarize the whole thing, but in the end, everything just falls apart because everyone who's part of the DAO is making ridiculous suggestions and they have to vote on everything. And suddenly it's just impossible to just simply pour a glass of, of lemonade and sell it. So I, uh, I think this is, this is really interesting. Of course, we have to learn from uh, what uh, experiences people are having with DAOs. You know, I responded to this tweet thread myself and I said, you know, look at the world of startups. Um, and every DAO today, almost every DAO is, is basically a startup with a different kind of organizational model. And people like to say that nine out of 10 startups fail, maybe seven out of 10 startups fail. And most startups, you know, even if they're run well, end up failing and some startups are not run well. So, you know, and, and no one says, well, you know, no, no one should go start a startup, right? Like, don't do a startup. It doesn't work. Things fall apart. Like, you'll never be able to do it. It's just like, no, actually starting a startup is hard and, and most of them will fail. And, and I think it's the same, the same thing with DAOs. Um, what's, what's your reaction, Philip? 
I mean, back to the original article where those people were leaving the DAO, um, there's definitely that risk of trying to decentralize too quickly, especially very, very early on. Um, it, you know, ultimately, it's impossible to start a DAO as truly decentralized unless you design things very, very well, right? Like you need to have some type of like core team or something like that, at least to get through like deploying and putting the DAO together and like bringing people into the DAO. Um, and for, for a game studio of that nature, I'm not sure I see like the utility of having a DAO that early on. That being said, I think a DAO can be a very effective model, even for companies in that early of a stage, as long as you design your governance in the right way, which is not an easy thing to do. I think a lot of people think more about like the tooling and the techniques and stuff and governance is more of an afterthought, but you know, if you think about like the the way the history of any country, there's always like a great, like a tremendous amount of effort putting into designing a very well balanced governance process, uh, which can be very complex sometimes or very simple and elegant. But I think that a lot of these DAOs um, that we've seen will just like launch a token and expect things to figure themselves out. When in reality they don't. You know, ultimately it's hard work and you need to be very like perspicacious and like going in and, and really doing your best to to make all those things happen. So yeah, I mean, ultimately human nature is a big factor, right? Like people will be annoying and people will do stuff like that. But a lot of these problems that we see with DAOs are just problems with democracy in general. And I think if you design your democratic system the right way and you, you know, distribute power the right way for what you're actually trying to build, they can be very effective for a lot of these types of organizations. Yeah, great take. Thank you. All right. Next article is from quorumnewsletter.xyz uh, from the author Samantha Marin. And, and first of all, Samantha is one of my absolute favorite writers about DAOs. Uh, you can find her on Twitter at Samantha J. Marin, and she will be a, a future guest of the podcast in the next couple of months. So we very much look forward to that. And this article from Samantha is called Two Months at Aragon learnings, musings, ramblings. And uh, one, uh, one thing she mentions a little bit later on is over the next few months, all of the arms of the Aragon Network DAO are merging or deprecating or dissolving into a general Aragon Network DAO that encompasses everyone who works on Aragon projects. So first of all, a little bit of background. Aragon was one of the early companies that built DAO tooling. So tools that allow a group of people to leverage a token and governance and have votes and have those votes executed in some way. Um, they even built kind of a, a Web3 judicial system of sorts for adjudicating disputes in DAOs. So really interesting platform. And uh, this article uh, does go into, you know, again, some of the challenges that, that Aragon's DAO has experienced and, and how uh, what Samantha has learned from those challenges and um, uh, you know, lessons learned for, for how to operate going forward. Um, so what I want to do with this article actually is go through each of the lessons that Samantha took away from her experience at Aragon, and then let's, let's react to, to each of those. And, and I think a lot of these lessons will be useful for the audience. So the first lesson actually harkens really well back, Philip, to what you just said about DAOs. So, and I agree, this is a really good one. Um, the learning is progressive decentralization without serious safeguards is scary and stalls the decentralization itself. So, you know, this reminds me, Philip, when you said, you know, that you, the, the, I think what you implied is kind of the founding team has to put together some structure 
so that when you decentralize, the DAO will actually operate. And I think uh, I think that uh, ends what Samantha is saying about having safeguards, or maybe you could call them guardrails. You know, is is really important. I mean, you know, a community that just launches a smart contract for governance, right, and and gives out a bunch of tokens. You know, that's like let's say we go back to the founding of the United States of America's you know democratic government. If they just said everyone gets a vote. Okay, go. <laughs> you know that that doesn't it almost doesn't mean anything, right? I mean that that's not a system that will allow for effective democratic governance. Uh, and not to apply that our current system is perfect, of course, we have a, an enormous amount of challenges too. But but I think the point is that there has to be uh, as you decentralize, you need some kind of system in place and I think what I what I wonder about, kind of reflecting on what you were saying about it, Philip, is is there no way for a widely decentralized group of people to develop that system together? I mean, could you start with like the absolute minimum amount of system? Like just start out by saying, okay, this is our community, everything goes to majority vote, right? And then maybe the first vote, maybe you agree, and the first vote is gonna be on a system that we're gonna use. Um so I don't know. I guess there's probably a range of, of, of speeds and methods for putting systems in place and decentralizing. But either way, I think the, the lesson is, is key here, which is you got to think about, um, you know, systems in, in, that you're creating for the decentralized network that you're creating to operate in. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, you you can do it, right? Like you can put some minimal governance process in place and see if that expands, but it's very fragile and it's very difficult to do that. And it requires a ton of work. So I think as explicit as you can be when you're setting up the, when, when you're designing your DAO, um, the, the better off the community generally is, right? And there's of course a, dam uh, a, a danger of being like too overly centralized, but T to be honest, the usual problems I see with DAOs is not that they're overly centralized in process, but that they're overly centralized in practice. And what I mean by that is that they keep a lot of communications and private DMs. Oftentimes the votes that they do are only are things that are like basically already decided and they're just kind of like ratifying like, okay, now we're going to add all this stuff to the products or whatever. Um, so yeah, I think, I think really um, it's, it's a different way of operating and a lot of that like transparency and value uh, like that comes from a DAO comes from the way that the people themselves actually operate rather than the process, uh, which I know is a little bit unrelated, but yeah, I think, I think so to get back to your actual point, possible, very difficult, and a lot of things can go wrong. Yeah. And, and I feel like part of what you're describing is kind of the, the, technical structure of the DAO versus the social structure of the DAO and that you can be technically decentralized, but but we're still human beings and we operate socially. And if we're socially centralized, because there's a small number of people that we all listen to who tend to make all the decisions, then are we really decentralized? Um, is that a fair way of putting it? Yeah, exactly. Especially when those core people hold on to a lot of power, right? Like, one thing about DAOs is that if you look at like the early DAOs, they were very true to the, the term decentralized autonomous organization, right? Governance was always on chain. It was always like truly decentralized governance. And we've ended up seeing a lot of tooling kind of reach somewhere in the middle where it's like decentralized to an extent. 
But there's a real danger of core teams holding on to power because people naturally will want to accumulate and hold on to power. Um, and it ultimately ends up being very detrimental to the progress of a DAO, right? There have been a lot of DAOs which had a lot of potential to do really amazing stuff, but people come in trying to help and they are kind of blocked by their like, oh, you're not part of this like inner circle or, or whatever that is. Um, so yeah, very, very dangerous. We may have heard uh, a little bit of Goldie again, uh, agreeing with you, Philip, on that point. So thank you. We will turn to the next uh, realization from Samantha in her article is realization. DAO contributor uncertainty and instability is holding DAOs back. And there's a, a subtitle uh, here that says, uh, we cannot throw away everything about Web 2 in our search for a better way of organizing in Web 3. So I infer from that second comment that Samantha is saying that this uncertainty and instability maybe is coming from an unwillingness to simply leverage some of the same systems that we used in the Web 2 world. And maybe that's things like having a salary or having a, a, something like a manager. I mean, someone who can tell you, yes, you have a job for the next three months. And yes, this is what you're supposed to be working on. And, you know, yes, you're doing a good job, right? I mean, maybe those are our are, are generalizations, but I, I, I feel like um, those things can be really useful. I mean, if I think about, you, let's say you join a new company, you know, to work on a new project, a traditional Web2 company, it's great to have someone who can tell you, hey, here's what we need you to do. And here's what success looks like. And here's how long your contract lasts, right? That stuff can be really useful. And maybe we're throwing out too much of that as we experiment with these new models. Yeah, I think I think that can be true to an extent. Um, and I've heard this from a lot of DAO contributors, but ultimately... It is a new mode of operation, right? And if we were to institute centralized management and like hierarchical organizational structure where you have managers and managers of managers and all the way up, I don't know. I don't know if there's really a purpose to running as a DAO if you need to run your organization in that way, right? Like DAOs have a lot of very particular use cases and there are, of course, like spaces where you can kind of hybridize and meet in the middle. And it seems like Aragon might be getting to that point. But I think ultimately the real solution is you need to, first of all, you need to attract people who are very like self-motivated and self-driven and capable and able to figure these things out themselves. And then you need to empower people to actually affect change, right? So, um, you know, a lot of DAOs, I feel, end up with almost too much process, right? Like there's all these little rules and restrictions you have to go through. Delegating trust to people and like letting them, you know, actually empowering them to be able to do stuff, which I know is very vague and there's like a lot of little things in practice, but uh, I think that's a very important part of any DAO. Um, and ultimately not everybody is going to be able to fit in with that process, right? They're going to be very mm. capable and intelligent people who work very well within the traditional corporate model who just do not fit in well with the DAO structure. And I think that's okay. Like ultimately we can do our best to set up processes and make things clear for people, but it's not going to work well for everybody. And that's also not the end of the world. Yeah. You know, it, it reminds me of something I, I really like to, to tell people, which is, you know, to me, 
what we're seeing today is you have traditional organizations and then you have DAOs on the opposite end of the spectrum where we are trying to do everything differently, right? No minimal hierarchy, minimal management and leadership, maximum flexibility. And I think in the long run, what we'll see instead is a spectrum of organizations that leverage uh, any combination of the old, you know, web, what we call web two style ways of working and any of the new web three styles of working, the, the DAO styles of working and combining them in novel ways, right? I mean, you could have a DAO from a high-level governance perspective that hires a CEO and the CEO could have a management team and the management team could manage everyone else. And now you've kind of combined a DAO with a traditional organization. And maybe that goes a little far towards traditional for a lot of people in crypto, but you, there's other ways you could combine the two concepts and, and maybe um, maybe each situation and each group of people, right? Each community has different skill sets, different preferences, and we'll find a different model that, that works well for them. Mm. Adam, can I ask you, what does DAO mean to you? Like, how would you define mm. a DAO? Yeah, I love it. I love it. We're turning the tables here. The the interviewer has become the interviewee. Um, so, and I'm going to ask you after I answer, uh, you know, to me, a, a kind of technical definition of a DAO is an organization whose governance and membership tracking can take place on the blockchain in the form of smart contracts instead of in written documents. So I look at it very much from a perspective of like, what methods are you using for governance and membership tracking? And you don't have to be doing everything on the blockchain to be a DAO. That can be the vision. It can be the goal, right? That can be maybe you're, you're just doing things cryptographically, but not on chain, right? That's okay. I'm not saying those organizations are not DAOs, but I think generally speaking, those are the capabilities that make something a DAO. And then on top of that, right, you have right the way people are actually approaching it is take the word decentralized and take the word autonomous and also apply them to the, the organizational structure, right, and the social environment. And uh, people are creating DAOs where because it's now possible, thanks to those underlying capabilities, we're going to try to do everything without any hierarchy and without any management and without any kind of centralization in anything that we do. Right. And same thing with autonomy. They're saying, how can we automate as much of our organization as possible and make it so that once a decision is made, it gets executed automatically on chain. Right. No humans in the loop. Um, so I think I'd say I'd combine those two things. There's kind of the, what I call the technical definition and then more kind of how people are interpreting what those terms mean from an organizational design standpoint. So what yeah, do you that's... think about that, Philip? That's that's very interesting. Part of the reason why we we may have like some slightly differing perspectives on some of these things is not because we actually disagree, but just because we're kind of talking about slightly different things, right? Like what the example you mentioned where uh, it would be like a traditional company with traditional hierarchy and they do their records on the blockchain. I would not personally consider that a DAO, right? I think that blockchain technology has a lot of applications in the traditional workplace, but I don't think that using any crypto technology at all makes you a DAO automatically, right? And I think there is an extent to which the term DAO has kind of lost its meaning over time. Um, and that's why you see a lot of people who have been involved in the DAO space for a long time kind of reject a lot of modern DAOs as, as not being DAOs. Um, but yeah, I definitely land more on the side of like uh, DAO kind of referring to something that is actually decentralized and is autonomous, at least to some extent. Um, and then thinking that 
Web3 technology, crypto technology, whatever you want to call it, does actually have a place in traditional workplaces as well. But DAO is not necessarily a useful term in my mind to describe those corporations. Mm, interesting. So what about, I'm going to throw a scenario out there uh, just to test test the, the, the model that you're describing. So if you have a traditional DAO, um, let's say like MakerDAO recently, where um, it, it, it really is, I think, a DAO, according to anyone's definition. Um, recently, they've been having some challenges, they're losing money. And so uh, there have been some proposals to put in place more centralization. Um, now, not they're not going this far, but let's say in that type of situation, the DAO said, we want to put in place a management team, right? Like the DAO is deciding there's going to be a management team. And every month the DAO gets to vote on their budget and they can uh, uh, unelect, right? Remove the management team at any time, but there's going to be a management team. Is that, you know, after that point where that proposal passes, is that no longer a DAO or is there su- is that some kind of gray area that still kind of is a DAO in some ways and, and kind of not? Yeah, to, to me that I feel like that's a DAO, uh, right? Because ultimately it's about where the the power lies. So if power lies within the hands of token holders and the community, and they can vote to remove people, and they kind of represent the best uh, interests of the community, I think that's totally that. Yeah, that can totally still be a DAO, right? You can delegate power within a DAO, uh, and most most DAOs do that to some extent. Interesting. I'm, I'm going to have to go back to my definition and rethink it a little bit because I, I do think it's missing some nuance that I, I agree with you should be there. Because if you if you take the exact traditional corporate structure, stockholders, board, CEO, everything down there, and simply count the votes on the blockchain, I think I would agree with you that that's not quite a DAO. Um, and so there, there's probably some nuance that I need to work on. So thank you for bringing that up. It's a great question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Very interesting. And I, I'm not saying that you're you're wrong either, right? Like ultimately DAOs mm-hmm. are what we think they are. So, yeah, you know, if people true. think DAOs are something and then I might just not be in touch with whatever the most modern definition is, that's, you know, kind of how it is. We are all figuring it out together. That's mm-hmm. for sure. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Um, so I am going to pick one more learning from Samantha's article, and then we're going to move on to the interview. Uh, so the last thing I will highlight is learning. Overcommunication is a good thing. The more decentralized an organization, the more important it is to overcommunicate. I think this is another really interesting one, right? If I think about traditional corporations I've worked in and DAOs that I've worked in, there is always this question of how much to communicate, how much process to put around communication. You know, do you try to force people to talk about certain things in certain channels or do you just say, well, as long as people are communicating, it's fine. Um, uh, any thoughts on this one, Philip, from your experience with, with DAOs? Is, is over-communication always a good thing? Yeah, it depends. I mean, ultimately, it'll depend on your objectives. But I think if you are trying to create the most sustainable DAO possible, um, communicating as much as possible helps with that a lot, right? You want your community to understand exactly what's going on and and all of that stuff. Uh, because ultimately, if, if there is any like different level of communication in closed channels and in open channels, then it's kind of defeating the purpose of a DAO, you know, in my mind, right? Like I think ultimately we should aim to over time reduce the the barriers between like founding team and other people as much as possible. Um, 
so yeah, I think I think over communication, well, maybe maybe not over communication, but just communicating things transparently is super beneficial and it keeps people engaged. And it, I mean, there's there's not many downsides unless you're like, you know, dealing with like compliance or something like that, in which case talk to a lawyer. You know, yeah, right. <laughs> good point. Yeah, that that type of over communication is is probably not good. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. All right, that does it for the Just It news report, and now we will turn to the featured guest interview with Philip. So, Philip, would you go into a bit more detail for us about your background and how you got into Web three and DAOs? Hmm. Uh, a bit of a eclectic, you know, kind of all over the place backgrounds. Um, so my my original background is actually in uh, music. I was working as a jazz trumpet player in New York for a while, uh, and then COVID hits, and as you can imagine, like every venue shuts down at the same time, just like destroys income and work and everything basically overnight. So uh, around the time when COVID started, I moved to. Um, a new city and I was working in music production, audio engineering, that sort of thing, working with a few rappers and stuff like that. And then ended up getting into cryptocurrency a few months later. Um, and I'd always been following cryptocurrency kind of vaguely, but uh, this was around November of 2021. During the Constitution DAO debacle event, not not a debacle, it was a great, great experience. During the Constitution <laughs> DAO uh, events. Um, so yeah, uh, heard about constitution DAO and then I was working on a, uh, music NFT project at the time with some people and made a Twitter account because of it. And I was on Twitter and I saw a tweet from Nicholas, who's another juice box contributor where he said, Hey, we need someone to run our Twitter account. Uh, is anybody available to run our Twitter account? And I said, okay, well, I know I'm, I'm getting onto Twitter. I could maybe help out here. So I joined the Juicebox Discord server and I say, hey, do you guys need help running your Twitter account? I saw this tweet. Nobody responds. And then some guy messages me and he says, hey, I need help with, with governance design. And I was like, what? Like <laughs> very unrelated, <laughs> but, you know, very much uh, a proponent of the, the fake it till you make it approach to life. Yes. So I was like, <laughs> I was like, sure. Yeah, of course. Um, so yeah, ended up getting involved at, at governance at Juicebox. That was kind of like my first um, exposure to, to DAOs. Um, but then over time kind of took on a lot more responsibility involved with a lot of like operations and legal logistics and things of that nature, uh, coordination, stuff like that. So yeah, over time, just learn more about DAOs. And then the thing about being in Juicebox is you're constantly helping new people start their projects. So, um, you know, I end up getting involved in a lot of DAOs through that. So some short-term projects, some longer-term projects. I end up helping a lot of project creators and consulting them. And then sometimes that leads to other stuff. You know, I help them with their next NFT project or something like that. So, um, yeah, kind of via Juicebox got involved with a lot of other projects. Cool. And I, I love, you know, to connect back to what you said earlier about no one really being experts on DAOs. You know, I also got involved in DAOs only late last year. 
And I, I actually do think that those of us who have been involved in this space for over six months are relatively experts because literally the space is so new that most people who have gotten involved in DAOs and starting DAOs and DAO governance design and that kind of thing have gotten involved in the last few months. And, and, and that pattern, I think, will continue for a while because it's just so early. So if, if anyone who's listening is thinking, oh, have I missed the boat? Am I too late? You know, or DAOs are already a thing of the past. Absolutely not. It's not too late to be very early early in this space. And, and in six months, you'll be one of the first, you know, 10% of people who, who got involved in DAOs. So um, not, not definitely not too late. Yeah. And the beautiful thing about it is we have this culture in the crypto world of all of the coolest projects that are being built, all of the best research. It's being done open source and transparent. And people are publishing these white papers, which are just like super condensed versions of the best information out there. And everyone is willing to talk to you if you just ask them questions. So um, it's a place where you can learn a lot very, very quickly. Uh, and I think uniquely so, right? It's not as easy to get into... Um, I don't know, like the, the world of law, right? There's a lot of process you have to go through. You have to go through, you have to meet these requirements and like a lot of knowledge is gated and you have to like talk to the right person or like look at the right thing. But um, yeah, world of crypto in general and especially DAOs is very, very open. Yep, totally agree. So Philip, what projects are you working on now that relate to DAOs or are DAOs? Um, yeah, still, still working on, on juice box stuff, of course. So right now I'm really focused on developing like user documentation and like YouTube videos and just like simple tutorials and stuff like that, which is easy to overlook, but, um, super helpful for people who are just getting involved. Um, I'm, I'm working with some people on movement DAO, which is kind of like, uh, building on top of juice box and kind of, um, leveraging a lot of that stuff, but with a more, you know, targeted approach as to like what organizations it's trying to support and like types of DAOs. Um, and then I'm involved in like a number of projects, right? Like, you know, every day I wake up and it's like, you know, 50 discord notifications and it's like, okay, like what do I actually need to do today? So it's just, you know, whoever is reaching out, whatever's going on, uh, you know, helping people set up their projects, helping people develop existing projects, stuff like that. So Cool. And, and I mean, how does that work from a, um, in terms of how you operate within the DAO as you work on these projects? I mean, do you just jump around whenever you want and work on whatever you want? Are there, is there some kind of guild structure or approval structure or funding um, process that you have to go through? So, so at Juicebox, uh, payouts take place through Juicebox. So all of Juicebox's treasury and funds and everything are all managed on Juicebox. So we, we actually do uh, payouts, kind of like salaries. So I get paid a fixed amount of uh, ETH denominated in USD value every two weeks, uh, as do other contributors. Um, but it varies a lot from, from DAO to DAO, right? A lot of DAOs will have um, more of an emphasis on rewarding people with tokens, which can then be swapped to ETH, or people will reward uh, with you know other stuff. But yeah, in general, in general, um, I try not to get too involved with DAOs that are doing a lot of like bounty focused stuff because that's just a lot of overhead to deal with as someone who's just trying to come in and contribute. So, you know, if it's someone I know and they're running the DAO and I'm like, okay, I'll do all these things for you and we'll figure out some amount or something up front, um, you know, that, that can work well. But 
uh, in general, I, I try to stay, you know, contribute to DAOs that um, have a little bit more freedom in terms of what you can do, right? And then it's just a matter of prioritizing what the most important and impactful things you can do are. Hmm. And, and does Juicebox, I mean, do you ever run into problems with things not getting done well or things not getting done at all because of the amount of freedom and flexibility that people have? Or is that really just a non-issue? All the time. Uh, and, okay. you know, it's... it's <laughs> okay, no, 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 so, so, yeah, I mean... Um, <laughs> no, in general, no, right? Because most of the people involved in Juicebox are real... Um, not only are they very talented and hardworking and efficacious and, you know, all of that stuff, but they are, they they have like honor and morals and stuff, and they care about actually getting things done and contributing to the DAO in meaningful ways. So most of the like longtime contributors at Juicebox, they're very self-driven, they're very motivated, and they're able to figure these problems out themselves. Now, there are people who will come in and do some meaningful contributions, but sometimes may be a little bit misguided. So... Uh, there's a balance there, right? Like you want to be able to help these people and help them, you know, get on the right track and figure things out. But there are also difficulties sometimes where, um, you know, someone is, you know, very enthusiastic and they step in to do something, but it might not be the best fit for what their talents are. So I think it's very important to be honest in communication. And if someone is not doing something properly, giving them the feedback and like, you know, helping them to the extent that you can. But if, if you know, things are not going well, then that's ultimately going to be up to the DAO and the DAO can vote to to do what they will with that. Yep. Makes a lot yeah. of sense. Makes which which of can sense. be very hard, right? It's hard to tell someone that, yep. you know, they're not doing what they said that they were going to do. So, yeah, I think yeah. staying honest and like very transparent as much as possible is is the best way to remedy that. I, I was just thinking the same thing as you were talking, you know, even as a traditional manager in a traditional company, it, it can be hard, challenging to be critical of people, um, but but you have to do it. And in a DAO setting, I feel like my my usual attitude is one of being overly positive and supportive and encouraging because it can be scary for people in, in a, that are new to a DAO or even other contributors to a DAO because of that lack of uncertainty. So I want to be positive. I want to be engaging. I want to be encouraging. And so I'm even more careful about when do I actually want to be critical or challenge an idea. Um, but if you, if you miss an important opportunity to do that, you know, you'll end up with someone um, doing a, a less than great job for, for the project. Yeah, I think not that being positive always has to be a compromise or being negative. Um, but I think when you end up compromising on your beliefs within a DAO, it can be very dangerous for the structure of the organization as a whole. And this is true of, of traditional companies as well, right? When people compromise with the policies or the people they hire or something like that, it can, it can often lead to the downfall of an entire corporation. So it's harder in DAOs because you're not really... Um, you know, you're not given this role of like manager where you're in a position to criticize and like be uncompromising. But ultimately in a DAO, the community really has to do do their diligence and be uncompromising when making decisions and communicating, at least in my mind, is, is the best way to sustain a DAO. Yep. Love it. So could you talk about some of the growing pains that Juicebox or other DAOs you've been involved in experienced in their early days and how those were addressed? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, 
One thing is that constant fight for like progressive decentralization and how you manage that. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of like, you know, in, in a traditional company, you have a lot of people who are working on like writing policies and methods for doing things, right? If we need to swap some of our treasury funds for something on Uniswap, what's the actual way we do that? So I think there's a lot of need, especially early on for people to like kind of put together processes and establish effective precedents. Uh, one person who I think has done a fantastic job of that is uh, Django from Juicebox. So he was one of the people who wrote the original smart contracts for the Juicebox protocol and still, of course, very, very involved. Uh, and he did a very fantastic job of like uh, setting these precedents of like honest communication and, you know, effective communication and like not uh, getting too caught up with like minor details and things that don't really matter, which impacts the culture of the DAO as a whole. Right. So. I think setting the right precedents, setting processes, uh, that progressive decentralization, of course, and then also deciding on the roles that things play within your community, right? Like what role, like a lot of DAOs have a token, but what role does your token really play? And to what extent can people use that token for doing certain things? And there's no real right answer, but it's very important that you decide that and communicate it clearly because if you don't, it will lead to confusion and then people will disagree and it'll just lead to all sorts of like crises and silly disagreements and things that didn't need to happen. How about more recently? Are there any challenges that have come up as the DAO has has grown and become more established? Of course, yeah. Um, I mean, this is true of Juicebox, but of course, a lot of other DAOs, right? As you, as the size of the treasury and the ecosystem and the community grow, it attracts a lot of people who are, you know, looking for, for funds or something like that, which is, there's nothing wrong with that, of course. But then it becomes a real issue of how you manage distributing those funds and like criteria for doing that. And often it can be very, it can be very confusing for people or can lead to a lot of disagreements. So one thing that I've kind of advocated for and and implemented in our governance process, which I recommend to a lot of DAOs, is to have higher thresholds for passing things, right? Like I think a majority vote is not actually a very effective way to do DAO governance because there's this natural inclination towards positivity, right? Like most people will vote yes in general. And uh, if you have something where only 51% of the community wants something and 49% of people are going to be pissed off, it's probably not a good idea to implement that thing, right? Like a natural bias towards the status quo is not necessarily a bad thing because it promotes stability, which is very important for DAOs. Uh, because ultimately the governance process, you're, you know, in a traditional corporation, you have to talk to your manager and the manager has to talk to their manager and then their manager. And at any point, an idea can be shut down and taken away. So there's a lot of safeguards in place, which is very helpful for stability. But with DAOs, it's kind of like low level programming. You're like operating close to the metal. And like if you have some dangerous proposal and only 51% of people like it, it can be implemented, which can be super, super dangerous. So I think setting a higher threshold for passing a proposal is a very good idea. I think putting safeguards in place is a very good idea, especially in the early stages of progressive decentralization. And I think clearly communicating all of these things and being very, very specific as to what you actually mean when you're communicating that stuff is all very helpful. Very important. Mm. Sorry, I'm like ram rambling a little bit, but no, yeah. this is perfect. Uh, so, what, what's the magic number of uh, what what percentage of votes you should you should require to pass a proposal? And does it vary based on? And I know that maybe there really is no magic number, but does it vary based on the type of proposal or anything like that? 
63.4% always. <laughs> no. yeah, right. um, Sounds right. Yeah. Not no, 69%? I, I feel yeah, like 69%. 69%. That's actually, it's a good idea. Yeah. Um, it's not a bad yeah, word. I mean, I, I like to look at traditional governments when figuring these things out, right? So look at like the US government. When you're making very important decisions, a lot of times they require two thirds rather than a majority vote, right? So that can be... You know, the U.S. government, since it is the government of a big country, has the ability to be very, very complicated and people are fine with it because it's like they don't need to be engaged with everything. With a DAO, you do want to have something a little bit simpler. So it can be hard to like delineate different types of proposals and stuff like that, especially because there's always going to be gray areas and things that come up unexpectedly. Um, but I say just set it based on on the way your community is voting, right? Like if your community you know, is consistently voting things to to like 80% approval or whatever, maybe set your threshold close to that number. Or if your community is like very divisive and everything is getting voted down, maybe you can have a lower threshold. So ultimately there's no easy solution, but you need to tailor it to the way your community is voting and what people's interests are within the DAO. Interesting. It sounds like a, a cultural decision as much as anything. I, I can imagine, you know, again, in a traditional startup, for example, you know, maybe there are five or seven founders or early employees, and maybe you have a culture where you try to reach consensus on everything because with so few people, you really don't want to have anyone disagreeing strongly about anything. And then maybe in a different startup, you have more of an attitude of, look, we just want to decide really quickly. We'll vote on anything and majority vote will win and we'll all just disagree and commit and go with it. And, and we're fine with that. And it's probably nothing wrong with either of those approaches. Completely. Yeah, it's it's definitely a balance, right? Like traditional governments have this problem sometimes where they get into government gridlock and like you have these parties and then like nothing gets over the required threshold. DAOs often have the opposite problem where everything passes and everything is implemented. So kind of setting your thresholds and establishing your process in a way such that the meaningful stuff gets through and the less meaningful stuff does not, which can be hard but yeah i think i think DAOs kind of have the opposite problem where you need to actually actively encourage people to say no to stuff rather than encourage them to to say yes so you need to encourage honesty for sure mm. um philip do you have five extra minutes to go over the top of the hour or do we need to end in the next couple minutes yeah of course i'm, I'm hanging out let's do yeah three okay more hours. cool yeah Awesome. <laughs> awesome. All right. We'll make this a four hour episode. Okay, Why cool. Not? That's great. Yeah. Cause we have a, part two. We'll do a yeah. few more questions then. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Love it. Okay. So first of all, we've already gotten a lot of great advice from you about uh, starting DAOs and operating DAOs, but do you have any other advice that you'd like to share with the audience uh, for people who are starting DAOs today? Yeah, I mean, part of this is kind of reiterating what I've already said, but be very specific in what your objectives are and what you're trying to accomplish and communicate those things openly. Um, if you are trying to start a DAO, uh, I think it's worth considering why am I starting a DAO and what do I hope to accomplish by starting a DAO? Um, and then whatever you decide on, right? There's no, there's not necessarily going to be a right answer, but it's important to make a decision and like stick with it until you, you know, change that, like, Whatever, whatever it is you're thinking and feeling, it's important to communicate that as well as you can with your community. And it's okay if there's like doubt sometimes and a little bit of confusion because people, if they're engaged with your community, will be able to come in and help you with that. Um, so yeah, uh, just communicate things honestly. I mean, this is like general life advice, you know, but applies to DAOs, applies to companies. 
be be honest, be very transparent if you need to be or if you can be, um, and and try to design things very deliberately. Mm. It's very hard to go Sounds back like, on mm. on decisions. Sounds like leadership skills, right? Be a good leader, just like you would in any other situation, right? Even if you're working towards a decentralized structure, be a good leader. Yeah, exactly. And the the, the difference here is that um, it's not enough to just be a good leader because you need to be a good leader and you also need to know when to let go of power, right? Uh, the, the person I mentioned earlier, Django, one thing I've always admired about him is how um, generous he is with like letting go of power and delegating responsibilities to others. Um, and you need to you need to be able to do that in a DAO, right? You need to be able to let go of things as hard as it might be, because um, I've seen this happen to so many DAOs, right? There are DAOs that are poised to do something amazing. And then some people get involved that want to hold on to as much power as possible and you know, it kind of leads to these DAOs not doing as well as they could have. Hmm. Yep. Makes sense. You know, in some ways, I think that does apply to traditional leadership too, in, in a lot of circumstances. I mean, certainly in a modern startup or modern organization that's trying to be innovative, I think the trend is towards decentralizing decision-making, at least maybe they would say like pushing it down or out to the edges, right? Um, and especially in terms of ideating and coming up with new ideas and being able to execute on new ideas uh, when they make sense. You know, companies want people to be able to do those things more broadly. And so they're trying to teach leaders and managers to be more willing to delegate, especially when it comes to creativity and innovation. Um, but uh, I would still say, I would still agree that in a DAO, it's even more important because going in, everyone is expecting you know, a little bit less central control. And so if the leader is holding on to too much power, I think people are liable to just walk away pretty quickly and look for a different DAO to join. Yeah, definitely. I mean, DAOs, DAOs are, and it's a balance, of course, right? I, I say also definitely learn from others, right? Like if you're trying to set up a juice box DAO, like copy our governance process, like totally, you know, steal, steal stuff from people. Like it's all open source, you know, learn from others. Um, but yeah, to, to your point, I think it's true that DAOs are very powerful, but dangerous, right? There's this, I want to say it's like a Jeff Bezos interview where someone asks him about why startups can be so effective as compared to traditional corporations. And he says, well, startups, right? You ask one VC for funds. He says, no, you ask a second VC, third VC, and all you need is the 35th VC to say yes and give you funding for an idea to be executed. Whereas in a traditional corporation, like I was saying earlier, you need to ask your manager and the manager's manager, manager's manager's manager. And at any point, an idea can be cut off. So because of that, startups are able to implement things very quickly and experiment and ideate and iterate in ways that a traditional corporation cannot, right? It's easier to get stuff done. And what's cool about DAOs is they're kind of like startups in this situation where every decision, instead of having to go through this hierarchy, you're going right to the single source of truth. So it's very important to, so, so that can be a very powerful thing, right? It allows you to do things very quickly, but it can also be very dangerous, right? There's a reason why nine out of 10 startups fail. So I would just say, make sure you design 
your systems very intentionally and delegate power where you're going to delegate power, but be very, very clear with what you're doing and really, really think it through. Like it might seem like a simple decision, but you know, one sentence in your, you know, whatever your like process document or one sentence in your, or one rule in your smart contract or something can mean all the difference. Yeah, especially when you're writing smart contracts because those are very hard to to change. Well, yeah, you got to make a new one. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. You can you can get stuck. Make yeah. a new one, move all the assets over. Yeah, 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 yeah. And security um, is very very serious with that. Good you point. Have to be, yeah. yeah, I mean audits like seen so many DAOs get yeah. destroyed by just like some smart contract vulnerability. Pay for security. It's like the most worth it thing you can do with any doubt. If you're doing like anything on chain, be very, very certain in what you're doing and like make sure it is extremely battle tested and audited. And like, yeah, that's that's super, super important. Yeah, which usually means use an existing platform, right? I mean, I think for 99% of DAOs today, there's no reason to write your own smart contracts, right? If you're doing fundraising, you should probably use Juicebox or something like it, and um, maybe for other things as well. But there's plenty of platforms out there that have already written smart contracts and had them audited and created version two and version three and version four. And so I'd say for most DAOs, if you don't need to write your own smart contract for some reason, you should definitely avoid it. Yeah, definitely. And I'm I'm going to a little bit of a shameless shill here about about Juicebox because it. go for it. <laughs> so this is this is actually like a common misconception because a lot of the really high visibility projects on Juicebox are like projects like Assange DAO or Constitution DAO or these like large scale fundraisers. But what's interesting is that the, the way Juicebox was actually designed, uh, it works very very well for these like evolving ongoing projects. Um, in fact, Juicebox was originally intended to be used for open source software pro or not open source, but just software projects in general, right? Where you have this like ongoing development and you need to pay out to people who are funding the plot or building the platform or building the product or whatever it is. Um, so yeah, if you're, if you're building some sort of project where you need to evolve the rules over time, Juicebox can be very effective for that because you can actually evolve these rules over time while still putting restraints and restrictions, which allow your community to build up that trust that they're not going to be rug pulled. So it's like a very, it's a very powerful way to do like transparent accounting and stuff like that. So anyway, don't mean to shamelessly shill forever, but yeah, more, more than just, uh, more than just fundraisers, right? If you're like running a corporation or something or a DAO, it can be very powerful. Good, great point. And and actually, the next question is, uh, do you have any favorite <laughs> tools to help run DAOs? So why don't you actually talk a little bit more about Juicebox? If you haven't said everything, you know, what what is the value prop for Juicebox uh, for people starting DAOs? And then maybe beyond Juicebox, if you do have one other favorite tool you could share, that would be awesome, too. Yeah, completely. So so the way Juicebox works, um, it in short allows you to deploy a treasury. So the platform is, uh, it's decentralized, right? Like when you deploy a treasury, you own that treasury. Um, and the treasury is just like an NFT, which is kind of like a key to the treasury. It allows you to configure things. Um, and what you can use that to do is you can allow it to receive funds from your community. You can issue tokens to your community and contributors. You can put incentives on how those tokens are issued, and you can also uh, put rules and restrictions on how funds are utilized. And all of those things happen very, uh, you know, you can customize those all very effectively. 
Um, but you can also evolve all of those rules over time, as I mentioned. So we see this with a lot of DAOs, like possibly this DAO that you mentioned earlier, the Rome, I think Rome DAO you said. Um, we see a lot of DAOs get to a point where they have a liquid token and they're doing their thing, but then they don't really have much control over continued issuance or redemption or things like that. And they end up in this weird problem where they cannot really solve it without airdropping a new token and like migrating everything over and just causing a, a nightmare, you know? So Juicebox is very effective in that it allows you to change the rules of your treasury over time to meet the needs of your community. Um, and, and to do all of this in a very transparent way where you can put re certain restrictions on what you're allowed to do so your community knows that they're not going to be rug-pilled, which is super useful if you're like uh, anonymous and starting an NFT project or something. It's also extremely transparent, which is very useful if you're doing like a nonprofit or a charity or anything where people, where it's important for people to understand where their funds are going. There's a lot of specifics as to different ways you can configure things. So if you have questions about it, I highly recommend all the listeners to join the Juicebox Discord server and feel free to ask. I'll respond to you there. It's uh, discord.gg slash juicebox. Uh, and if you're looking for some more information, the, the main website is juicebox.money, but you can also go to info.juicebox.money and find like docs and guides and stuff like that. Um, and then as for, as for other tooling, um, I'm a big fan of, of Snapshot. You know, I think Snapshot is a really effective compromise between centralization and decentralization. Um, I use Gnosis Safe all the time. I always recommend people to use Gnosis Safe. And I know these are like boring answers, but to be honest, the most boring battle-tested effective solutions are oftentimes the best one for people setting up projects. So things like Gnosis Safe, Snapshot, um, you know, a lot of like the established governance tools and custody tools are very, very powerful. I love it. I love it. And uh, I'll just do a little extra shilling for you. Um, I think Juicebox just recently released a, a major upgrade to Juicebox V2, mm. or was it V3, and introduced Two. a whole host of new features, lower fees, um, just a, an overall a, a huge advancement. So if anyone listening hasn't checked it out in a while, I think they should check it out. Yeah, and one thing one thing that's super compelling about V2s, if we're going back to shilling, I mean, if you if you Let's insist, do a little more. Uh, <laughs> Let's do a little more. <laughs> yeah, one <Shill> thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So one thing that's super compelling to me about V2, which I think a lot of people don't realize yet, is how different it is from an architectural perspective, right? So if you go to the juicebox.money website and you set up your V2 project, if you're just using the website, it almost feels like a V1 project, right? A lot of the configurations and mechanisms you're setting are the same, but from a protocol perspective, Juicebox V2 is super, super extensible, right? It has a lot of opportunities which allow for extensions and allow for smart contracts to plug in in different ways. So there are a lot of features that will be rolling out over the coming months, which will be added into the front end, which will exist for like projects that have already been created, right? So if you create a project now, once we, as we roll out like NFT tooling and like NFT rewards and stuff like that, and as we roll out different like asset management strategies and different, I mean, all sorts of complicated stuff. Of course, I can't make any promises, right? Like people are building stuff as fast as they can, but as those things are rolled out, you'll be able to access them with your existing Juicebox project. So, um, people, yeah, so, so V2, it has like feature parity and all that stuff with V1, but it also goes much deeper and it allows for you to build extensions on top of your existing projects. So I'm personally very excited for that. And, you know, I'm excited to see how uh, people's treasuries can evolve over time as those things are rolled out. 
Yeah. And, and by the way, I have also found Juicebox's uh, team on Discord to be incredibly helpful uh, compared to the average Web3 project. People are available. They'll set up meetings with you, walk you through the whole platform. It's it's incredible. Um, and same goes, by the way, for Gnosis Safe, which uh, Philip also mentioned. And if anyone who's never heard of that is trying to find it, there's a G at the beginning. It's kind of spelled like Gnosis Safe, G-N-O-S-I-S. And it's at gnosis-safe.io. And Snapshot, if anyone's looking for that, is at snapshot.org, um, which is a cool cryptographic off-chain voting platform that is supposedly building an on-chain version as well. So definitely check all that stuff out. Um, Philip, uh, how about uh, any favorite DAOs for people to check out aside from Juicebox, assuming that will be your favorite again, but uh, any other DAOs that maybe people who are newer to the DAO space should check out? You know, I actually really recommend, like, there, there's like a bunch of obvious, like people always say like MakerDAO and, and Gnosis Safe and how they're running things. And of course that's true, right? Like they do very, very interesting stuff. But I actually recommend people who are getting into the DAO space to check out a lot of the lower level stuff because it'll inform the way you design these things. So um, the way that the Ethereum Foundation is run, for example, I highly recommend you check out how the Ethereum Foundation does things. I really recommend people read like the Bitcoin white paper and Ethereum white paper and just all of these things that you're building on top of because uh, once you have like a real foundation of knowledge um, when you uh, as to how like these super established systems work, not only will it uh, not only will it help you design your own things from an informed perspective, but it'll also inform a lot of little things that you might not uh, expect, right? Like how Ethereum Foundation does decision-making and how they reach consensus and how, um, you know, like these different people design their processes and what tooling they're using and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, kind of a weird answer, but like some like DAO precursors or like different, different groups mm. might be good to check out. But yeah, of course, check, check cool. out MakerDAO, check out Compounds, like check out Gnosis, check out all of these, like check out Juicebox. Yeah. Check out Juicebox. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And another one I love to recommend is Bankless DAO, um, you know, partly because Bankless's mission is to onboard people uh, into Web3. And so it's a very welcoming DAO that I find to be fairly well organized and a lot of fun. So that's a fun one to check out, too. Definitely. All right, Philip, this has been awesome. Um, I've had so much fun. We've shared so many great insights. <laughs> I'm just super excited to get this podcast out there. Um, where can people find you and your projects on the web and on social? Wow. Um, well, thank you very much. First of all, it's been great speaking with you. Um, you can find me on Discord. So my my Discord is Philip V, F-I-L-I-P-V, number 0001. Um, I'm Philip. How'd you get zero 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 one? I'm a baller. What can I say? Uh, I'm, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I think on Love on it. Twitter, I I'm not on Twitter as much, but feel free to send me a message and I'll see it maybe you know in the next few days. My Twitter is at Philip V, spelled the same way F I L I P V, and then an underscore. Um. So yeah, feel free to reach out to me on Discord or Twitter. Um. Uh, yeah, feel free to join the Juicebox DAO Discord server. I'm always going to be in there. Um, and yeah, feel free to send me a message if you're setting up a DAO. I'm happy to help you out uh, and point you towards some some resources. Awesome. And for the audience, you can find me on Twitter at 0xthriller. 
And you can find MyDAO at MyDAO, M-I-D-A-O-D-S, and MyDAO, M-I-D-A-O dot org. And uh, feel free to send me questions that we should ask future guests. Uh, of course, please consider liking us and subscribing and leaving a review or comments. Uh, I'll really appreciate that. And uh, again, Philip, thank you so much. It's been awesome having you on the show. And uh, for the audience, are you thinking about starting a DAO? Just DAO it. Just Dow It is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Just Dow It does not contain any legal or financial advice. My Dow also does not provide legal or financial advice, and nor does your host, yours truly. <laughs>